You're listening to the Outdoor Photography Podcast, episode 51. Today, we're sitting down with full-time nature photographer and educator David Kingham to chat about the realities of life as a nomadic photographer, the benefits of getting outside of your comfort zone, finding inspiration in the landscape, and a whole lot more. So stay tuned. Hi, I'm Brenda Petrella, the creator of Outdoor Photography School. Join me as I sit down with top landscape and nature photographers and outdoor industry experts to chat about creativity, composition, photography tips and techniques, essential gear, safety in the outdoors, respect for nature, and so much more. Tune in every week to learn how to create compelling and impactful images while exploring and enjoying the natural world. Welcome to the Outdoor Photography Podcast. Hello, my friends. Brenda Petrella here, here to help you create better images and reconnect with nature. Happy spring or happy fall, depending on where you're tuning in from. And thank you for sharing a part of your day with me today. Just a quick note to start. I wanted to thank those of you who have shared your responses to the question, what does connecting with nature mean to you? You may recall from episode 44, which was a compilation of our guests' answers to this question, that I invited you to submit your responses as well. And we've gotten a few submissions so far, and I would love to be able to put together a similar compilation episode featuring you, our listeners. So if you haven't yet and would like to participate, please record your response using the submit a question link on the Outdoor Photography Podcast website. And I look forward to hearing from you. All right, now let's get to my interview with today's guest, David Kingham. David is a professional nature photographer who travels full-time with his partner, Jennifer Renwick, who actually was our guest back in episode 23, and their two cats. David started his full-time travels in 2014 to explore the country, spend time in the places he loves, and to find purpose in the world. David and Jennifer lead photography workshops together, and they love to share their knowledge of photography and the locations they call home year to year. You can learn more about their workshops, ebooks, tutorial videos, and other educational offerings by visiting exploringexposure.com. David is also the owner of the Nature Photographers Network, which is a site devoted to the art and craft of nature photography. It is a discussion forum focused primarily on honest image critiques, and it also provides other educational opportunities like articles and Ask Me Anythings with some of your favorite experts. David also helped start the Nature First Photography Movement, which promotes ethical principles to other photographers in order to protect the places we love. And so without further ado, please enjoy my laid-back conversation with David Kingham. David, welcome to the Outdoor Photography Podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Brenda. I'm excited. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Me too. I'm so glad that we're finally having the opportunity to chat and get to know each other a little bit more. I know. So I already gave the listeners a little bio on you in the introduction, but I always like to have the guests give us a little bit more of a backstory on how they got interested or started in photography because for a lot of us, it's something that we either pursued later in life or even discovered later in life. Mm-hmm. And I understand that um, even though you've been doing this for a while, you left a corporate career around 2014, I think it was. And yeah, somewhere in there. Yeah. Uh, started living full time in a camper van to do photography. And this is before, you know, hashtag van life was a cool thing. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> uh, so can you tell us how you first got interested in photography? Yeah, I don't know. My story isn't as interesting as most people. Um, my mom was actually a nature photographer when I was oh, growing nice. up. Yeah. And she actually like had a dark room in the basement and she was all about it, but I didn't have any interest as a typical kid. So um, I never got into it then. Yeah. Um, but I think it was just kind of implanted in my brain at that point. So later on in life, um, I just got a like a point and shoot camera for my roommate um, just bought it, bought that from him and started playing around with it and realized that I actually really enjoyed it. Um, so then I just quickly, um, I think I started playing with my mom's DSLR mm-hmm. and then I really enjoyed that a lot. So then I ended up buying my first camera was a Nikon D40. Nice. Um, 
Yeah. And just, I really just became totally obsessed with it. I couldn't think about anything else. You know, I was still working in the corporate world and I couldn't focus on my job anymore because <laughs> I just love <laughs> photography so much. So yeah, like every day after work, I just came home and was watching YouTube videos and reading and just learning as much as possible. So that was kind of my evolution. Um, I was really completely self-taught. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it was just, just a very obsessive thing. Do so. you think you were kind of looking for a creative outlet at that time? Oh, definitely. Cause I, I don't think I really had a creative outlet to that point in my life, mm -hmm. you know, and I was probably around 30 years old or so and just never had found a creative outlet. Yeah. So it was definitely something I needed. My career in architecture was not, I wasn't an, an architect doing design. I was more on the, the technical side of it. So that was not a creative outlet for me. Yeah. Um, but I started doing like architectural photography for the company I was working for. And that was fun, but it wasn't, um, you know, quite what I loved. It was interesting. I learned a lot of things from it, but yeah, it was the nature that I was obsessed with. Yeah. So did you grow up uh, sort of immersed in nature, being that your mom was a nature photographer? So being out in nature, is that something that was always sort of natural and part of your life? Yeah, definitely. I um, My parents got me out camping at a very, very young age. I think I was under a year old. So wow. Um, yeah, that was definitely ingrained in me. Yeah. Um, it wasn't so much like hiking and stuff at that time, you know, it was like ATVs and things and but, you know, respectful ATV and right. <laughs> just like exploring and stuff. So that was kind of um, in my genes from early on. Um, and then later on, actually, photography is what really got me into exploring the outdoors more and hiking and um, all that stuff. So it really kind of changed my life and put me on a better path. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people... Um, either get into photo uh, landscape photography because they love the outdoors or they love photography. Uh, but often it's because they have this passion for the outdoors first and it gets mm. them more involved and they realize how good it is for their mental health. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It was, it was a huge turnaround point in my life. Yeah. So what enabled you to make that decision to hit the road full time, both from like a practical standpoint and also from like a mindset standpoint to, to take that leap of faith. Um, that one's, that one's kind of tough. That one, um, kind of just came out of nowhere. Um, I had just gotten out of a bad relationship and it just kind of forced me to, um, reevaluate my, my life situation because I had, um, actually just moved to be with this person and then it all just fell apart. So, um, yeah, it just kind of pushed me into that. And I decided, oh, what the heck, I'm just going to go for this. And so I just got rid of pretty much everything I owned. Wow. Um, and then, yeah, I started off in a forerunner and a tent. And, <laughs> and <laughs> so I, I slept in the tent for six months straight. Holy moly. Yeah. So that was, that was pretty intense, but it was a lot of fun. And yeah. And where were really, you traveling mostly at that time? Um, I actually started in Death Valley. Um, I spent like a, I think like I started with like two weeks there and then went back and had to, um, take some stuff out of storage. And then I came back and spent like another month in Death Valley. Um, and then I just, um, kind of traveled the Southwest and, um, Tetons, and, you know, ended up in the mountains in Colorado. And so, yeah, just all over the West in the U.S. Did US you and, grow up in the West out there? I did. I, I was uh, born in Colorado. Okay. So yeah. But yeah, I worked my way up to a, a van and then eventually um, the travel trailer that we're in now. Wow. That's a big change. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it feels so natural now. I, I don't even think about it that much, but yeah, it's, I know most people think it's kind of crazy or they're envious either way. I don't know. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of the envious part of it, so I understand that you guys just, you and your partner, Jennifer Renwick just got back from, uh, was it a month long trip to Death Valley? Or was uh, actually, it longer? 
um, pretty much three months. Three months. Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, so maybe you can, can you give us like a picture of what a day in the life of a nomadic nature photographer looks like? You know, is it as glorious mm. and wonderful as people would like it to be? <laughs> uh, that very much depends on the day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, there's, I can't complain. It's, it's wonderful a lot of the time. Um, and the great part is we get to spend extended periods of time in a location to get to know it really well. Mm -hmm. So we love being in Death Valley and just exploring because there's so much to see there. You could spend a lifetime and never see everything. Yeah. Um, so I love that aspect of it and just the freedom to travel pretty much wherever we want. Um, but there's, there's really bad aspects too. It's really challenging sometimes. Um, just little things like getting our groceries from different locations all the time and doing laundry and, you know, have to go to laundromats and still silly stuff like that. And then, um, last year our truck broke down, mm. you know, obviously our main form of transportation to get around. Right. <laughs> and that ended up being like a several month affair and ended up costing like $12,000. Yikes. Yeah. So that was, that was a really painful time. Yeah. And we really struggled. We were um, pretty much sitting here in Denver for all that time and like had to borrow a truck to go do some workshops. And yeah, it was just a mess. Yeah. So that's, that's how it gets really stressful, things like that. And then we've had problems with the trailer breaking down. And so it's definitely not uh, glorious all the time. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, that does sound challenging. And, yeah. you know, especially when your main mode of transportation is not reliable and you kind of, mm -hmm. if you don't have an alternative to that and your livelihood is sort of dependent upon you traveling, <laughs> right? <laughs> that's hard. <laughs> yeah, there's there's definitely been some moments where we were really considering quitting and just stopping the travel because it was just, it's so stressful. Yeah. But we we get through it and um we still enjoy it very much. Um so it's it's worthwhile in the end, but yeah, it's <laughs> it's not what you see on Instagram. Right. <laughs> <laughs> with the your feet sticking out the back of your trailer oh, with yeah. the the beautiful sunset and <laughs> No. It's more like, "Hey, we have this haboob coming through Death Valley and we right. can't breathe the air." <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, is it hard to keep things clean when you're in Death Valley? I mean, I imagine you, you mean, do you have like a tent outside of the trailer so that you have sort of a strip down area before you bring all of the sand and dirt inside? Um, I mean, it's not terrible. We have like a patio mat that we keep out um, just to keep if we're muddy or something. We don't drag that inside. But um, yeah, the biggest thing is just the dust. Yeah. Because we have windstorms there fairly often. Um, so we need to do a deep cleaning on the trailer right now. <laughs> yeah, we, we didn't have time to keep up with stuff this year because we had so many workshops and out of Death Valley conference. Yeah, it was just like one thing after another. So we didn't have much personal time this year, even though we were there for three months. Right. Because we had like yeah. all sorts of COVID redos from 2020 and 2021. <laughs> yeah, we just had so many canceled workshops. So. Yeah, it was a struggle. Yeah, I mean, those years were really tough. I mean, uh, yeah. fingers crossed that is in the hindsight now. Yeah, I sure hope so. Yeah. So how has um, teaching in the field, has that changed at all now post-pandemic? You know, now that we still have to take precautions and whatnot, like, mm -hmm. do, do you find that the culture of how the instruction is going in the field has shifted at all? Um. I don't think in the field that it's really changed. Um, we haven't really had that problem. We actually require our clients to have, um, to be vaccinated. Mm -hmm. So everyone's like super comfortable and it's, it actually kind of feels like normal. That's uh, good. Because, because everyone knows that everyone else is vaccinated so they can just all relax and yeah, actually, you know, feel like it's normal again. That's good. Yeah. So um, it's really just mainly, um, in the classroom stuff that had to change for a while and we weren't doing anything inside. Um, but that's, I think that's starting to change too. So I feel like things are getting back to normal and it's, mm -hmm. it's not impacting us nearly as much. 
That's good. So when you guys are doing your workshops, do you usually have sort of a combination of both um, classroom instruction as well as field instruction, typically? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we just, you know, we go out, you know, in the morning, spend a good time out in the morning and then come back and we'll have like a little time for a nap and then we'll do some um, classroom instruction, whether that's giving presentations and creativity and stuff or um, doing processing in Lightroom and mm -hmm. all that fun stuff. So we try to do a balance of that and, um, you know, not try to wear people out too much, but give them a really good experience in the field and the classroom. Yeah. And I understand that you guys tend to get some repeat clients, which is great. It must be nice to yeah. see some familiar faces out there. Yeah, it's cool. We have a great set of clients now and it's just, it's wonderful to see everyone all the time. We, we just, we become friends with our clients typically. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, yeah. it's pretty cool. Yeah. Very lucky. That is, that's awesome. So I've heard you say in, uh, I found an article on your blog from, I think it was 2013. It was way back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> the way back machine. Uh, or know. maybe it was in an in other interview. I can't remember, but I've heard you say that uh, the only thing standing in the way of the future you envision is you. And so I'm curious, uh, you know, something that I struggle with from time to time is getting in my own way on things, you mm -hmm. know, sort of. Um, struggling with self-doubt and, and things like yeah. that. And I wonder how, how have you learned to get out of your way <laughs> uh, <laughs> to, to like achieve what you want to achieve or be the person you want to be and that sort of thing? How have you overcome those obstacles? Boy, that's a tough question. Um, I mean, the only thing that I can say is just do it. I mean, you have to just be brave enough to just go for it and not worry about what are the people are going to think or what the consequences might be. Um, you know, take some risks in your life and just be willing to, I don't know, be bold and go for it. Yeah. Um, I know that's much easier said than done. But <laughs> <laughs> um, did you find yeah. that when you were making the decision to, to go full time with photography, did you find that um, you could, you you know you were willing to take the risk but had some faith in yourself that you'd figure it out even if you didn't know what it was going to be like yeah definitely i think i always live life that way of um knowing that things will work out some one way or another yeah um and you know when i i kind of made the decision to go full time or full, as a full time photographer while i was working and i had to pay off some debt and stuff so i you know, kept working to get that done. And then I wanted to build up a nest egg before I kind of jumped into the full time. Um, but then I, um, fortunately it was laid off. Mm. Um, our company went through some struggling times and yeah. so I got thrown out and, um, that was a good thing cause it forced me to jump right in. Yeah. Uh, cause I don't know if I would have ever done it if, if I wasn't forced to. Right. So that was just one of those moments where life just presents you with this opportunity and it's like, Oh, okay. I'm going to take this. Right. <laughs> just yeah. run with it. you know, and uh, yeah, it was scary, but um, yeah, I just had faith that everything would work out. You know, if you really believe in yourself and just put in the hard work, it's probably going to work out. Yeah. I think it was, um, the Thomas Edison who said that it's like one part inspiration, a thousand parts perspiration or something like that. I yeah. 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 I don't know what the ratio was, but it was something yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, inspiration is part of it, but really you just got to do the reps. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think it was, uh, oh, what was that? Um, I forget the name. Uh, it's a book called do the work mm. by, uh, I can't remember his name, Cleon or something. Oh, Austin. Um, Austin. Austin Cleon. Yeah. 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 Yes. So I think that that inspired me to just, and there was also like a Seth Godin. Yeah. He was really inspirational and um, just like getting the work out there and not, you know, worrying about perfection or anything, just throwing it out to the world and yeah, you know, you, you eventually get there. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. He uh, wrote the book, The Practice. Did you read that one recently? It just came out. I think, uh, no, I haven't read that year. one. Yeah, it was either 2020 or 2021. I can't remember when it came out, but it was really good. Um, I mm -hmm. listened to it on an audio book and um, 
same idea. It was just basically ship the work that, you know, amateurs wait for inspiration, professionals Mm -hmm. just ship the work. They, you know, and there was somebody else, uh, it's a writer, uh, another writer whose name I'm blanking on, who said that um, I'm inspired to write every day at 9 (laughs) a.m. It's like, you know. (laughs) Whether you like it or not. Right, exactly. Like if you've made the decision, like decide you're going to do it. And at least that's one like point of friction that's removed from Mm -hmm. the system. And then you can, it may not be easy. It may not result in anything profound or creative or whatever, but at least you're doing it. And, and over time it works out. Yeah. And with that practice, eventually you just work through it and you find the inspiration through work. Right. And just pushing through, eventually you'll get there. Yeah. It's hard though, especially with creative work. Yeah. Yeah. I know I've been struggling it with myself lately (laughs) and I, I need to take my own advice because I've, it's been really hard, but, um, I have a huge, huge backlog of images from like the last few years. I bet. That I barely touched because I, I feel like we're constantly photographing. Um, so I have a hard time keeping up and it's just become completely overwhelming. So I'm actually looking forward to spending some time not photographing and actually catching up on (laughs) the work that I've done over the past few years because I have so much that I want to put out and it's so much better than what I've done before. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So how do you manage burnout like that? Like when you're, you're on the road a lot and, you know, creating your own images, your own photographs, but then you're also needing to be, you know, on teaching, helping other people with their vision, you know, Mm -hmm. helping them see things in the landscape. And those are sort of like two different activities, you know, I, I would have a hard time switching context of my brain of being like, I'm yeah. connecting with the landscape versus I'm helping this person and the energy that's involved with doing that. And and so do you ever yeah. find that like after a workshop, for instance, that you feel just so exhausted that it's hard to cr- be creating your own images at that point? Or is that how you rejuvenate after uh, workshops? I think that's kind of more how I rejuvenate. There's definitely... Um, like I'm very um, like socially and mentally exhausted after a workshop mm-hmm. and like, I don't want to be around other people necessarily. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Cause I'm very much an introvert and I need to recharge. But um, yeah, I think being out in the field and photographing helps with that because mm-hmm. photography is kind of my meditation. That's where I go to relax and just um, find my peace. So um when I'm out, when I'm out in the field, I'm kind of just wandering around and I'm not looking for anything specific. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just wandering around looking for what catches my eye. Yeah. And so it's, um, it's, it is, it's very meditative for me. So I, I really enjoy that aspect and it's definitely what helps recharge me. Yeah. And do you find that when you do finally sort of make the time to do the editing that you can have a similar experience through the editing process? Is it sort of like a revisiting of those experiences for you or is it much more laborious to sit at the computer? No, I actually really enjoy the processing aspect of it. Um, I feel like it's where I can get really creative. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm actually maybe even more creative in the processing. Um, So it's not that I don't enjoy it. It's just struggling to find time for it yeah because between the amount of traveling we do you know just driving and then the amount of photography we do at a location and then just keeping up with the work of the business right um i just struggle to find time for that because it's something that i really want to spend a lot of time on and really dive into but i just feel like i find you know a half hour here and there and it's just it just like can't get into the right state yeah with that short amount of time so it's that part has been really frustrating and i haven't found a great solution to that yet yeah so that's what i'm currently struggling with (laughs) yeah yeah that makes sense so when you're when you're out in the landscape and you're keeping yourself open to what may catch your eye what sort of things do you find tends to catch your eye you know are you more drawn to colors or textures or the light 
you know, is there something that you're sort of aware that you're paying attention to? Yeah, I would say I'm definitely most attracted to light mm -hmm. and like just those moments of light that are kind of these fleeting moments. Um, so that and um, looking for contrast, I think is a big one. Mm -hmm. um, but I would say I'm less attracted to like textures and patterns. Mm -hmm. Like um, Jennifer and Sarah Marino and Ron Coscarosa, they're all like masters at that. They can yeah. just see those things so easily. But I, I definitely um, struggle with that. I don't see them quite like they do. Mm -hmm. um, but I definitely do see those moments of light and that's really what I'm attracted to. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I like you. I also struggle to see, I love, I'm attracted to the patterns and the textures mm -hmm. and I so want to create good, <laughs> good compelling uh, compositions for them, but I yeah. really struggle with that. It's a challenge for me yeah. to, to find the sort of underlying organizational structure that makes it make mm -hmm. sense visually. Right. Um, still working on that. Um, yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I, yeah, I definitely try it to just like exercise my creativity, but, and I think I'm like doing a good job, but then I look at it in Lightroom and I'm like, yeah, that's pretty mediocre. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I it's feel like what they excited do about it. Yeah. I feel like what, what Jennifer and Sarah and Ron are doing is just like magic. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Totally. <laughs> yeah. So when you're when you're looking for those fleeting moments of light do you are you mostly hand holding or are you uh able to take your time on a tripod and and set images up that way um i would say most of the time i'm on a tripod yeah uh, it's just being ready and you know having your camera out when those moments are happening yeah so i'm just always ready for that and then i'm also just looking for like more ephemeral subjects as well mm -hmm. like we did a lot of um chasing of mud this winter in death mm -hmm. valley yeah um after the floods that happened in december so we were you know we did that for weeks <laughs> we had so much fun because it was just we knew it was going away right and we might not ever see anything like quite like that again so yeah it's that kind of stuff that i love too yeah these fleeting moments that the the whole landscape is going to change in a couple of weeks or months. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, that's how I feel kind of right now. We're in the shoulder seasons in Vermont, you know, so we still have snow. Mm. The rivers and streams are starting to open up. And so it's two times of year when we can get that contrast between the ice right. and the running water and the snow yeah. and stuff like that. The only problem with it this time of year is that the snow tends to be a lot dirtier than, yeah. you know, it's just kind of messy compared right. to in the fall when it's just freshly falling. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you mentioned before about being an introvert and I am an introvert as well. So I completely relate yeah. to that <laughs> and going <laughs> Seems in, like most nature photographers are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and I think that's something that, you know, p people who want to do photography full time have to learn the business side of it. And that often is mm. like the uncomfortable aspect of it and, and yeah. the, a part that people really struggle with. And I think one of those things is the like marketing and promotional side of photography to get clients or sell prints and um, putting mm -hmm. yourself out there can be so uncomfortable. And so I'm wondering how you've managed to deal with that discomfort in order to keep your business going. Yeah, it's, um, that's definitely been a struggle because I've always been a very um, quiet person. I don't want to say shy necessarily, but just very quiet. Mm -hmm. um, so I actually started my career in photography leading workshops um it was mainly because i was big into night photography back then and i was kind of one of the kind of the first people doing that in a big way mm -hmm. um so people were requesting that i do workshops and i never imagined i would do something like that it's just not naturally in my nature so right. uh, i just decided to try it and see how it went and um you know it was just taking that risk and not being afraid to try something that's way outside of your comfort zone. Yeah. So, um, I, I honestly didn't like doing workshops when I started. It was very much a struggle for me, mm -hmm. but then over the years, it's gotten just slightly easier each and every time. And now I actually really enjoy it. Yeah. You get to meet some really cool people and, um, you know, the 
friendships you make through that. It's really cool. Yeah. And just seeing people grow and learn. It's it's just a wonderful experience now. Yeah. Um, yeah, I could see that. Also with like COVID, that threw me into a whole nother discomfort zone because yeah. then we started having to do these webinars and um, doing like the online conferences with out of Chicago. Yeah. And I never imagined that I'd be doing stuff like that. You know, I was never thought I'd be <laughs> giving presentations and um, all this fun stuff. You're like, I'm on so, the wrong side of the camera. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, it was another another super challenge. But um, now it just seems pretty natural and it's easy. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, anything that scares you, then it's probably worth doing. Yeah. And it's it's going to make you grow and become a better person for it. And yeah, we, I mean, it's been a huge change for us, but people love it and we enjoy doing it now. Yeah. Although we good. definitely have Zoom burnout, but. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I have this uh, Brene Brown quote stuck to my computer right here. Yeah. Um, that is, uh, you can choose courage or you can choose comfort, but you cannot choose both. Yeah. And absolutely. I find that to be helpful when I'm feeling like, oh, this is this is scary or uncomfortable or who uh -huh. am I or any of those things. And yeah, <laughs> especially when it comes to recording video or doing something live mm -hmm. where, you know, I find a lot of comfort in the editing process <laughs> of, yeah. of any kind of content <laughs> that I put out. <laughs> um, so I understand. And uh and it's good. It's really, it's a muscle I think that requires exercise because I don't, yeah. even if it gets easier with practice, I think it's still, it's still challenging, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. And even with the workshops during COVID, we didn't teach for 18 months. Wow. Yeah. So once we jump back into it, it's like, wait, how do I do this again? Right. <laughs> like this <laughs> feels so foreign now. Yeah. But it, it came back pretty quickly. But yeah, you definitely, you got to keep those things up. And um, like you said, marketing, that's that's always a challenge. That's been really hard. Yeah. Um, I definitely don't like putting myself out there. Um, and thankfully, we've built a really good mailing list. And that's been our, you know, primary source. But yeah, we still have to, you know, do a lot of um, like writing and kind of putting ourselves out there to you know, expose our, you know, who we are more. Right. Rather yeah. than just being, you know, blanket marketing that's, nobody's going to connect with that. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I find that, you know, having a newsletter where it, it feels much more personal than you would get on social media. You know, mm -hmm. you can put stuff on social media. I, I feel like social media is like a, a tool, like a fishnet, you know, trying to get as many interested eyes on on yeah. your work then hopefully to get to the newsletter because that's when you can start to really connect with people more right right yeah um but it's hard to like if it wasn't uh for that aspect of social media i'm not sure that i would be on it <laughs> yeah <laughs> honesty yeah i honestly hate it so much and i i'm barely on any social media anymore i can't stand it yeah <laughs> it's just become terrible in recent years so yeah, it's really too bad. I mean, I think the the initial reasons for starting those platforms, I think, were well intentioned. Right. <laughs> um, but now they're just uh, they're just competing for our attention constantly, mm -hmm. yep. and um, and it's easy to succumb to that, which is too bad. Yeah, I definitely look back on the old days of like um, the early days of like Flickr, yeah, um, where we were just like connecting with other photographers and. You know, it was just a fun place to um, share ideas and stuff. And everything just feels like it's all about popularity now. And, right. And just trying to get your name out there. And it's just not the same anymore. So I just, I just don't enjoy it like yeah. I used to. Yeah, totally agree. And that actually brings us to, uh, it was a nice segue to Nature Photographers Network. So I understand yeah. that, was it 2018 or so that you decided yeah. to buy uh, NPN and then revamp mm -hmm. the whole website. So for, for listeners who aren't familiar with Nature Photographers yeah. Network, maybe you can tell us what it is and mm -hmm. how that plays into your whole exploring exposure business and everything yeah. there. 
Yeah, so um, NPN was a site that was created back in like, I think it was 2000, maybe even 99. So it was an early internet. Early internet, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so just like super basic HTML site, that, but it was a discussion forum where people could share their images and talk about them and you know, heavily focused on critiques and just giving each other feedback in the community. Um, so it, it quickly kind of became this go-to site for nature photographers. Um, uh, you know, lots of big names were there and it just became this great resource that everyone loved. And then slowly over time, you know, social media started to come into play and people started going away from NPN and also the, the site just wasn't getting updated. So it still looked like it was from the nineties. Mm -hmm. So, um, people kind of lost interest in it. Yeah. And I just, I hated to see that resource go away because I could tell it was sl slowly dying and it was not going to last much longer. Yeah. Um, and it, it really helped me in my development because I became a member and started learning a lot from the members on the site. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I just didn't want to see that resource die. Yeah. So I, I reached out to the owner um, and I think it was 2018 or so. Um, and he was open to selling it. So um, yeah, I just bought it and totally revamped it. Not a new platform. That's very modern. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, it's been been a lot of work to get people back in there and interested, but we've grown quite the quite the membership, um, and it's still a, an amazing community with great people that are very friendly and give very positive feedback. It's not not what a place where you'll get like you know tell you that your image is horrible and you you know why would you do this things like that. It's <laughs> very constructive feedback. So it's it's just a really good place for community, mm -hmm. and um, definitely want to get more people involved with that. Um, yeah. So if the listeners wanted to find out more about how to get mm -hmm. involved with NPN, what would you recommend? Where would they go? Um, the website is naturephotographers.network. Okay. And they can join there. Um, they can do a 30-day free trial to kind of test it out. And mm -hmm. there's no credit card or anything required. It's totally no obligations. Um, so that gives you access to the critique forums, which is the main aspect of the site. Mm -hmm. And so I'd recommend just checking that out, reading a bit and definitely posting an image to get some feedback just so you can see what the community is actually like. Yeah. Um, and I think you, anyone would really enjoy it. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah. And then, and then there are other aspects of it besides the photo critiques as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, we, uh, we have professional photographers and amateurs come and write articles and um, we have these AMA sessions. Um, we occasionally do some webinars mm -hmm. and things like that. And there's, you know, just regular discussion forums too. Yeah. So, yeah. It's a yeah. great way to, to connect with other photographers and, and even, you know, if somebody is not say comfortable submitting their own photo for critique right away, just learning from what other people are saying about yeah. other photos is super helpful. Yeah, there's there's so much you can learn just from reading yeah. other people's. But yeah, I would definitely like encourage you to like get outside your comfort zone and actually post something to get feedback because it's it's insanely helpful. Yeah, yeah. So how big is the community now? Um, uh, that's a good question. Um, I think we have we have like over a thousand active members. Yeah, something like that. So and um, how do you keep the trolls out? Um, well, part of it is because it's actually a paid site to access yeah. those areas that keeps out most of the riffraff. Yeah. Um, but we also watch it very closely and make sure that there's there, we don't, if there's anyone that's being super negative, then we take care of that quickly and, you know, make sure we let them know that what they're doing is against our guidelines. And yeah. if they don't, you know, follow that, we will get rid of them. Right. It's it's just not a place for that. Yeah. So we're not afraid to take those actions to keep it a really good tight community. Yeah, that's good. 
yeah yeah make it you want people to feel safe while they're there yeah, sort of totally. like a sacred ground to because yeah. you know sharing those types of things is a really vulnerable mm. process you know? Right. Yeah. you know it might be an a photo a photograph that you absolutely love and somebody's like you know this is how you yeah. might want to change it and you can right. see how that could be a sensitive thing if you're not going in oh, with yeah. the right mindset or or the person delivering the suggestions isn't doing it in a kind, helpful right. way. So yeah, there's very much a an art to critiquing images. Yeah. So we we really encourage that, and even out article you can read about the art of critique, and so we make sure that everyone tries to follow that to mm -hmm. give really constructive feedback. Yeah, that's good. So you know when you're on the road so much and doing photography day in and day out, how do you find that you can keep challenging yourself to grow as a photographer? Do you do personal projects or yeah, how do you keep evolving and growing as a photographer when you're doing it every day? Yeah, um, that's definitely a challenge. Um, I do, I'm trying to work on some projects. Um, Jennifer has definitely inspired me to try to work on projects more along with Brooks Jensen and Cole Thompson. They keep poking and prodding me to do more of that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, doing things like that. Um, I'm currently working on a project where I'm um, photographing footprints of animals that I find out in nature. And yeah, so, I noticed that gallery on your website and I found it so cool. Yeah. yeah. Do you know what kind of animal makes those prints, especially the ones that are like side by right side by side? Um, gosh, I'm trying to remember what they are now. Um, I think those were probably um, kangaroo rats. Oh, interesting. Uh, I'm not positive. I'd have to look at them again. I, yeah. Because like usually you see you see footprints that are, like you know, staggered. Yeah. And these were like side by side and there wasn't like yeah, an yeah. evident tail as if it was hopping. Yeah, so I like, wasn't sure. Yeah. Hop around. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that had me intrigued. I, I, I loved how there were like contrasting lines. Right. So you would have like the trail of, mm -hmm. of the footprints and then you'd also have the the texture of the sand and how the light was hitting that. And I, I really liked how you f are framing those where there are these contrasting lines and textures and, mm -hmm. um, you know, going in different directions. And it just, uh, and the way the light is hitting, it's a lot of side light. So yeah, is it early morning, late evening kind of time of day or? Well, that's actually a, an interesting um, thing there is I didn't have great light. Huh. Um, it was actually, um, we went out to some remote dunes in Death Valley and the dunes themselves didn't look good at all. They had like gotten rained on and they were just like these weird shapes and textures that we hadn't seen before. So I, I wasn't like super happy with the dunes cause they weren't these smooth curbing things that we were used to. Yeah. Um, so I just refocused my attention yeah, cause I noticed there was animal footprints everywhere cause there hadn't been wind for a long time. Um, but it was also kind of midday. It was like maybe early afternoon and it was pretty harsh light, nothing exciting at all. Uh -huh. Um, so I just decided to photograph them anyway and just, you know, see what maybe I could do with them later on. Um, and that's what I do a lot in the field is just, um, collecting assets is what, um, uh, Brooks just told me who <laughs> said that. I think yes. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I know who you mean. Uh, name is yeah. blinking. Um, it'll come to me. <laughs> <laughs> I heard it. I heard it from Charlie Kramer. And apparently Charlie heard it from Bruce Barnbum. I think that's who it is. Um, but yeah, that's that's what I kind of follow is I'm just collecting assets when I'm in the field that I might be able to do something with mm -hmm. later on. So it's a way to just kind of keep your creativity up, um, not worrying so much about like what's the perfect light. Yeah. Because then I started looking at those, I put them in black and white and I ended up just kind of adding my own light to those. So basically I just like, made the image really dark and then added splashes of light to mm -hmm. add more interest to something that was pretty boring to start with. And this is mostly the dodging and burning or luminosity right. masks and that sort of thing. In yeah, just some really basic burning and dodging. Yeah. Um, I actually did those in Lightroom. Okay. You know, just super basic, but it, it just transformed them from something totally flat and dull to something that's a bit more interesting. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely interesting. Yeah, yeah. that's cool. I read on your, on I think it was the blog on exploring exposure, you had an article on micro contrast. 
Can you talk about that concept? And is that something that you're using in these types of photographs? Um, I use that on pretty much every photo. Um, it's kind of this idea that I learned about um, kind of reading about film lenses and how older film lenses, because they were more simple, actually had a lot more micro contrast, hmm. which is just like more contrast along the edges. But the newer lenses, because they've added all these special coatings and you know, all this ridiculous stuff to avoid flare and all these things that we've actually started to lose that micro contrast and everything's become much more flat. Interesting. Um, so I started doing some research into it and figuring out how you can bring that micro contrast back in Photoshop. So um, I found some resources on that and ended up developing my kind of my own method and my own um, Photoshop action to create that micro contrast and it really makes a huge difference it just because everything looks kind of flat and then it just makes everything kind of come to life and feels more three-dimensional in a way yeah interesting so how how is it different than say the clarity slider in lightroom i feel like that kind of puts mm -hmm. a little contrast on the little areas outlines of objects and right. i don't know it feels more fine-tuned than the contrast slider though so. yeah it definitely it it kind of adds some contrast to the midtones mm -hmm. and just helps bring out some of that um, finer detail so that definitely helps but it's it's a different effect um it's a hard thing to explain it's just like one of those things that visually looks much better yeah because um, the clarity can easily start to look kind of fake and yeah. just overdone crunchy yeah. Yeah. But the micro contrast just brings out the details in a really subtle way that just makes a huge difference. Yeah. Interesting. So I, I, well, I absolutely love that. Yeah. I'll link the article in the show notes for people if they want to check okay. it out. So when I look through your portfolio, it seems like there's this mix of photographs that have the dark and moody feel mm -hmm. um, versus uh, colorful with lots of contrast. And then there's the more pastel-y kind of light um right ethereal look and so what makes you decide to go one way or another is it what's happening in the field and is it dictated by the landscape or is it more about your mood at the time or your mood at the time of editing or or how yeah. does that all play into it um it's hard to say it's um it's kind of a mix of all those things i would say um it really i mean it, it probably is a lot with uh my mood at the time, what I'm feeling, what I'm excited about. Um, so I, I don't try to box myself into one style. Mm -hmm. um, I like to experiment with a lot of different things and kind of mix things up and kind of um, create my own thing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. I guess I just like experimenting. And so I'll, you know, try different styles on each image. So I, yeah, I'm a proponent of creating virtual copies in Lightroom and just totally like experimenting with wildly different things. Yeah. Because you can usually create, you know, each look that you want with every image pretty much. Yeah. If you want it to be really high key and barely have any detail to it, you can do that with some simple adjustments. Or if you want it to be really high contrast and just have a lot of mood to it, then you might darken it up and do some burning and dodging to bring out the light tones and just make it really stand out. Yeah. Um, and then I love playing with black and white too, because that just gives me total freedom to be as creative as I want because it, there is no, you know, reality there. We don't right. see in black and white. So right, exactly. we can, we can add as much contrast as we want and we can burn and dodge as crazy as we want. And it's just, you know, nobody's going to question that. Right. Yeah. After I was an attendee at the Out of Chicago Live Conference last year and Sarah Marino had given a talk on black and white. And mm. I was like, you know what? I I love looking at black and white images. I don't I just didn't ever really create any of my own. Um, yeah. And so I started to play around with photos that I already had in my portfolio and seeing doing exactly what you're saying, making that virtual copy and just starting to play around with it. And it is amazing how it's kind of freeing because you're like. I can go crazy with the sliders and it makes a really interesting effect to the photo. Whereas if you did that in color, it would be horrendous. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, It'd be awful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it can really start to, it helped me anyway, start to see 
tones in a whole new way and textures and and how to yeah. um, bring those out, even if you go back to putting that photograph in color, mm -hmm. um, going through that exercise in black and white can be really helpful. Oh yeah, that's just, it's so great to experiment. That's the way that I learned is I just started messing around with all the sliders and seeing what they did and seeing how they interacted together. Yeah. So it's, that's what I always recommend people to do that are struggling with processing is just do a ton of experimentation. Um, and that'll, that'll have you, um, get you up to speed much faster than any other method. Well, yeah, yeah, for sure. So where do you see the field of landscape photography going in the next 10 or 20 years? Do you think with Mm. you know all the things climate change right web3 nfts you know, yeah. ai and post you know <laughs> machines doing our editing for us like i don't know uh, like, do you, where do you see the shift happening um i think there's going to be lots of fads and trends that come and go yeah i mean they always they always do um but in the end it's always going to be about the artist and what they're creating yeah. Um, because machines can't replace that. Right. You know, yeah. ultimately the machines are just information put in by humans. I mean. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, and, you know, all the NFT stuff and everything that I think that'll fade away and things will become, they'll always come back to the, the basics. Yeah. And it's always about the art and, um, yeah, it's it's so hard to say where things are going to go. Yeah, <laughs> but, I mean, if we look 10, 10 or 20 years ago, mm -hmm. you know, that was pre-digital, pretty much. Yeah, you know, yeah, before, so much has changed. Yeah, so it's just kind of mind-boggling to think about. Yeah. We don't even, probably can't even imagine what 20 years from now photography will look like. Yeah, that's very, very hard to imagine. Um, well, it feels like right now, the, like the camera manufacturers aren't moving fast enough yeah to really keep up um like everything that's happening with smartphones i feel like that's just gonna blow them out of the water eventually because there's bound to be some huge breakthrough that right. the current manufacturers aren't even thinking about yeah we're gonna end up having uh cameras that can make holograms <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or something i don't know <laughs> 3d printed yeah. images or something i don't right, know right <laughs> Ugh, it's hard to think and it's hard to I think know. about like how like that all of that sounds fascinating on one hand and the creativity aspects of it and the connecting with nature aspect of it you know mm -hmm. my worry is that that would get lost in the technology that would be you know we, people yeah. will be artistic and expressive in different ways not in yeah. in the same ways that we're used to right now anyway yeah and you've seen some of the aspects of that of the negative aspects um with the Instagram influencers and stuff that, yeah. you know, they kind of inspire people to go out into nature, but it's not to really experience it. It's just to get that photo to get right. likes and the whatever selfie. it's. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I feel like a lot of those people aren't connecting with the landscape in the way that they should be. Right. Um, so that's, that's a big thing that I've seen change. Yeah. Because it, it used to be just a bunch of nerdy photographers going out and having this, you know, great respect for nature and taking care of it. And a lot of these people that are going out now just don't seem to care about it. And right. they're just out for one thing. Yeah. So that's that's been kind of sad to see that kind of overtake nature in a way. Yeah, for sure. Um, is there anything that you think we could be doing better as, you know, photographers who do care about nature <laughs> um i don't know i mean we jennifer and i were the um, two of the founding members of nature first mm -hmm. so that was kind of one step to help you know get those principles out there and you know, get the ideas that we need to take better care of it but i um you know i think that helps but it's not getting to those people that are actually <laughs> right. causing the problems, I don't think, for a large part. So right. yeah. um, I don't know how to change the ideas of Instagrammers. And <laughs> yeah, uh, it's definitely challenging, you know, yeah. um, sort of like what's the root cause of that explosion of social media? Like, could we get mm -hmm. at that and change that? I don't know. It might be an impossibility. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, hopefully um, it's kind of a fad and right. things will kind of go away with that. Who knows? We'll see. And then yeah. hopefully people will get back to being in nature for the right reasons. Right. That's my hope too. Yeah. So I understand that you and Jennifer have uh, some of your photographs are going to be printed in an upcoming Lenswork monograph. Yes, that is yes. very exciting. Yes, yeah. that is so exciting. So congratulations <laughs> on that. Uh, Thank so, you. Yeah. So for people who aren't familiar with lens work, maybe you can tell us a little bit about what that is and and then yeah. maybe tell us about this project. Is this something that you guys collaborated on together or, you know, how did how did you come up with the images that are going to end up in the monograph? Yeah. So um, lens work is a, a publication that's been around for a long time. Um, they have an online version, but also the the print version is just absolutely beautiful. And if you're going to do anything, do the print version. It's just gorgeous. Um, Brooks Jensen is the um, the editor for that and the founder. And um, he has just created something that's just this masterpiece that will live throughout the ages. Um, so that you get like, I think it's four issues a year or something like that. Um, it's just a small book, um, like an art magazine, you should say, mm -hmm. um, with different um, photographers featured. It used to be purely black and white for a long time. Um, and now he's started introducing color here and there. Um, but it's just the best publication out there, in my opinion. It's very inspiring for someone that's more interested in, in the creative, artistic photographers. Yeah. And not just the, you know, super grand landscapes that catch your eye, but it's right. more in depth. Yeah. Um, and then the monograph is a separate publication that um, Brooks picks out photographers that he wants to feature. Nice. Um, so we were super honored to be selected for that. Yeah. Um, so that he puts out three of those a year. Um, and it's just a, a monograph of usually one photographer. Mm -hmm. um, but he decided that he wanted to do Jennifer and I together. Nice. Um, featuring images from Death Valley. Nice. So yeah, we're we're That's very great. excited about that. Um, and will it be color or, or black and white or a mix? Um, it'll be a mix. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, we submitted, each of us submitted 60 images to Brooks and um, he's going to narrow it down to, um, I think, 60 for both of us. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's going to be so hard to choose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty hard getting those together. Yeah. Um, it was kind of last minute too, so we we had to put them together pretty quickly. But yeah, thankfully we had we had really good depth in Death Valley, so that was wasn't too hard to get those together. Yeah. So are you trying to um, show sort of a breadth of different types of compositions? You know, from the grand landscape down to natural abstracts, or are you focusing mostly on like intimate landscapes or textures? Or yeah, there's um, there's definitely a mix of everything because I really wanted to kind of give this idea of death valley yeah and um we called it reverent because we have such a deep respect for death valley yeah and you know just love the park so much so we wanted to have a diverse array showing all aspects of the park yeah so there's there'll probably be some grand landscapes in there and probably a lot of a lot of intimate stuff yeah wow it's so exciting yeah and I understand you have another book, uh, hopefully coming out soon on Yellowstone. Yeah. What's, what's um, the status with that? <laughs> well, we, um, we've been working on a guidebook, a photography guidebook to Yellowstone. Um, that's, you know, really focused on creating great photographs in Yellowstone. Cause I feel like, um, it's really underappreciated uh, for photography. You know, it's one of the, it's like the most visited park or one of the most visited, but, um, I don't feel like a lot of photographers go there. Hmm, yeah. And I think that's because it's, it's more challenging. There's not those obvious things to photograph. So we really wanted to show what's possible there. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's been something we've been working on for, um, quite a few years now. And we were going to do it as an ebook, but recently we decided to actually do it as a real book. Yeah. Um, that we can get in the bookstores and stuff. So um, that's slowed down the process. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And we have we have a lot to figure out now. Is this going to um, be so your that's... first print in print book? Yes, it would be. Yeah. Yeah. 
take I've, I've done an e done an ebook before on my photography, but yeah, this will be a whole new learning experience. Yeah. And so do you have a hopeful launch date yet or um I'm not sure yet. I'm yeah. It's yeah, we gotta figure out a lot of things first, but hopefully next year. Yeah. It's it's gonna take some time now with doing the real publishing. Right. But we're we're probably gonna self publish. Mm -hmm. So that'll make it a little bit faster. We just we gotta figure things out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, good luck with that. That's exciting. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure people will be very eager to uh to get the book and see your images yeah. and see see the the park <clears throat> through your eyes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, we're excited. Well, before we wrap things up, are you up for doing a lightning round? <laughs> sure, let's do it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm scared. Yeah, first thing that comes to mind. Okay. <laughs> uh, so you do a lot of hiking. What's your favorite mm -hmm. trail food? Trail food? Wow. Um, I eat perfect bars a lot. Perfect bars? I don't think I've had those. Yeah. Is it spelled yeah. perfect or does it have like a funny spelling? Yeah. No, that's just what it is. It's like they're usually in the refrigerated section. Oh, okay. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Is they're it... just like these nut bars with, um, I don't know, superfoods in it or something. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I really like those. And um, yeah. <laughs> I'll have to check them out. That's good. Yeah. Uh, if you could photograph just one region or type of landscape again, which would it be? Um, gosh, I, it probably have to be Death Valley. Yeah. I think just the amount of things to explore and see there. Um, and I never would thought I would have said that in the past because I grew up in Colorado. I love the mountains, but something about Death Valley has just taken me. Yeah. And it's, it's a special place for me now. Yeah. That's great. It's nice to have that connection to a landscape. Yeah, definitely. Um, what is your least favorite saying in photography? Mm. <laughs> um, probably people complaining about bad light. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if this is a saying, but. Yes, I totally yeah. agree. Uh, what are you reading right now? God, we have a pile of books on our coffee table <laughs> and um, I need to start diving into them. Um Gosh, I don't know. We just got back from Death Valley. Yeah. Haven't even thought about it yet. So are they mostly um, photography books? Yeah, photography, um a lot of huge variety of things. Yeah. 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 Just so much it's overwhelming. Yes. <laughs> um okay, well, final question. What does connecting with nature mean to you? Um, I think just like I said before, it's it's my place to meditate. Um, it's kind of like my, my church in a way and my, it's where I go, um, for my spirituality and, um, just to connect with, I don't know, myself and nature. Um, yeah. So it's just, I don't know, a special place for me to, to be and to relax and be myself. Yeah. I, I totally understand. I can relate to that too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, David. This has been so much fun and really good to finally sit down and, and have a conversation with you. I hope we get to meet in person yeah. before too long. Uh, it would be great. And um, that would be awesome. Yeah. And I understand that you're going to offer our listeners 10% off products in your store at exploringexposure.com slash store. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, so the code there is going to be OPS10. And I will put that and all of your, your website and NPN and all the other links that we talked about today. I'll put those in the show notes. Well, yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Brenda. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, it has been. Thank you so much. All right. I hope you enjoyed that interview with David Kingham. And again, you can find out more about his photography at davidkingham.com and about the workshops that he and Jennifer Renwick run at exploringexposure.com. And don't forget, he's offering you 10% off anything in their store at Exploring Exposure with the coupon code OPS10. And again, thank you, David, for that and for coming on the show. And thank you, dear listener, for tuning in. I appreciate you. And I hope you got a lot of value out of today's episode. 
I encourage you to check out the Nature Photographers Network because it's a wonderful community of photographers and it's a great way to get constructive feedback on your images as well as a way to connect with other photographers that's not on social media. You can sign up for a free 30-day trial, risk-free, to see if it's a good fit. I'm a member at NPN, and I also just recently contributed an article about creative self-expression when everyone's a photographer. So I'll put a link to the article in the show notes if you'd like to check it out. Okay, now David and I mentioned a couple of books and quotes, and we kind of missed the mark on some of the attributions, so I'm going to correct them here. The book, Do the Work, was actually written by Stephen Pressfield, not Austin Kleon. Austin is actually known for his book, Steal Like an Artist, which is also worth reading, so I recommend it. The author I refer to as being inspired to write every day at 9 a.m. was William Faulkner, and the direct quote was, quote, I only write when I'm inspired. Fortunately, I'm inspired at 9 o'clock every morning, unquote. And lastly, the photographer who is known for saying that he is collecting assets out in the field is Jerry Yulesman. And I'll include links to all of these references in the show notes, which you can find at outdoorphotographypodcast.com forward slash 51. And I'll be back here next week with a Tidbit Tuesday episode where I'll give a tip and or answer your submitted questions. So if you have a question you'd like me to answer on a future Tidbit Tuesday just go to the link in today's episode description or to the Outdoor Photography Podcast website and you'll be able to record your message. So until then, get outside my friends and find yourself a little nature. Take care. <laughs>